Chester Radio Hour. My name is Andreas Warner. I'm a record producer, songwriter, and owner of Crazy Chester Records. The theme song you just heard is performed by Wet Willie's Jimmy Hall and Funky Chester. The Crazy Chester Radio Hour is a weekly music talk podcast featuring an eclectic group of guests with musical hearts, minds, and souls. And many of the episodes, including this one, will dive deep into the rich history of music mecca Muscle Shoals. Today's guest is the legendary funky Donny Fritz, the original Alabama Leaning Man. Donny is one of Muscle Shoals' classic songwriters. He also played keyboards with Chris Christopherson for over 20 years, has acted in several movies and released a handful of soulful albums as an artist, including his latest Oh My Goodness on Single Lock Records. It was a real treat to have Donny sit down with me for an in-depth conversation. Donny Fritz is one of the most original people I've ever met, met in my life, besides being so talented and soulful that you can only really capture it if you're in his presence. Uh, he's not only a great songwriter, musician, artist but also an actor and we'll talk about all of that okay. here in a little bit good so uh it's my honor and pleasure to have you as my guest today and welcome to the crazy chester radio hour donny fritz well, hey man it's great to be here with you andreas you know that and uh, well thank you I so appreciate much appreciate you asking me thank you so much and maybe we can one question i've always wondered but i I never really heard an answer is you are referred to as Funky Donny Fritz, the Alabama leaning man. Yeah. How did that come about? Well, you know what, it was two different two different names. You know. Chris Christopherson, we were we were recording his second album, The Silver Tongue Devil, and uh, we cut this song uh, The Pilgrim and at the first he tells about all the people he wrote the song about. And he just blurted out. He had never called me that before, ever. He just said, Funky Donny Fritz, and it just stuck, you know. And uh, that was on the, all that was stayed on the cut we did. And uh, <clears throat> the other one, uh, Jerry Wexler gave me the, uh, Alabama, the elegant Alabama leaning man. And, uh, he said he called me, he just he was watching me one night, we was at a party at uh, Eddie Hinton's house out on the lake. He said, I kept thinking he was gonna fall in the lake, he was just leaning so far over, you know, and I said, I just, I do that naturally, I don't even know what I'm doing. And he said, I know, that's what's good about it. So he was, we were on our way back from Memphis to here. In fact, 
that's going to get too involved there. But anyway, it's where he showed me where he would put, he used that nickname, uh, Elegant Alabama Lenny Man, in a billboard article he'd just written. And it was coming out like the next week. And that's when he wrote, let me read it. And it's pretty funny, you know. And that one stuck too, you know. Yeah. So let's backtrack a little bit and kind of go to the beginning when you started getting involved. Yeah. Um, here in Muscle Shoals Music, and two names that I think are very important here are Hollis Dixon and Tom Stafford. Yeah. yeah. So would you mind sharing a little bit how you got your start? Well, you know what? Uh, I, I'd been in, I was about 15, and I went to a lot of movies. And Tom was uh, a manager there at the Shoals Theater at the time. And uh, you know what? We just got to talking. This is way before anybody even thought about having any kind of music here. But we got to talking about it. We both had this great love of movies and music. And, uh, you know, from those talks, because we started t really getting serious about maybe starting a publishing company. I was only 15 years old, you know what I know. And uh, I don't know, one thing led to the other, and we, we said, yeah, we're going to do it. And uh, I was just saying, I think it's a great idea, you know. Great. Well, I kind of encouraged him to do it. And we even found the place where it was going to be, you know, right up above the drugstore there for the studio. And uh, that's how I got involved with it, because I was right there in, from the beginning. Then he brought in Billy Sherrill and Rick Hall. And from they brought in Dan Penn. You know, so it started growing with great, and, and we got Arthur Alexander, because he just came, he knew one of the guys that was working at the theater, and uh, they arranged him to come to audition for me and Tom, and he was amazing, you know, he just sang the way you've heard him sing, and uh, he was with a group, but uh, it was obvious uh, Arthur was the real, you know, he was the, he wrote all the songs that he, they did, and so, you know, he, he he just won our hearts over it. He's such a great guy. And so anyway, that's how that all kind of came about in a nutshell, you know. And uh, the real big deal is when uh, Arthur, he just cut to about 62 or 61 when he recorded You Better, you Better Move On. And I think it came out in 62. And that, uh, that let us know or convinced us that, really this could happen here in this little town yeah because it did you know it did real good sold a bunch of records and uh the beatles cut it uh no the beatles cut and i didn't and yeah, the, the stones cut stones. you better move on anyway you know that kind of the starting of it and then all these people talented people came uh and started hanging out with us uh peanut montgomery and jerry kerrigan and spooner of course and uh David Briggs and uh, Norbert and uh, just a bunch of people. It all kept growing. But, you know, me and old Tom was there from the beginning. I got to say, I ain't really talked about that that much, but we uh, we at least put the seed in for it to start growing, you know. Yeah, and uh, your dad was a musician. Is, yeah. Is that did. where you got your love for music from? I, I probably so because he... He loved music and he could play. I mean, he wasn't. He he could play, 
he played that big band stuff. Everything was a chord, you know, and complicated stuff. And, and he's also a great bass player, upright bass. So, yeah, and I'd watch him go off to the clubs every weekend. <laughs> Man, that's what I want to do, you know. So I started playing around town uh, with a group called The Satellites with Forrest Riley, and he played on You Better Move On, Forrest, and uh, Danny Glenn, and I think that was just us for a while, and then Jimmy Ray Hunter was there for a while. He went on to be with Adele Rays. But all that kind of started going, uh, started happening, you know, and Dan started getting some songs cut. And Dan and I got, the first song I got cut was probably in about 62 or 3, something. When uh, the song Dan and I wrote, it's a horrible song, but it was the backside of a big hit, you know. So I said, this is going to be easy. There's <laughs> nothing to this, but... It wasn't. It's very hard. It's a very hard occupation, as you know. It's very tough. But that was our introduction to, you know, songwriting and making money doing it. So, yeah, still trying. You know, how did Hollis Dixon fit into this picture? Well, I think Hollis. Uh, he, this guy was a great front man. He was funny, and could sing. And, uh, and he always had a great band, you know. I mean, really, all the guys around here that came up through the ranks of uh, studio guys, I mean, everybody played with, with a Hollis. I played with him a long time, probably about seven years, something like that. And you played drums. I played drums then, you know. And um, I wasn't that good, but I played with him. I was always weakest link of the whole of the band, but, I mean, when – one at one time the band was everybody but Roger in the the Muscle Shoals rhythm section. It was Barry, Jimmy, and David, and me and Spooner, and Barry. Yeah. And then sometimes Ronnie E was with us. And then sometimes uh, uh, Jimmy Evans played guitar. So we had a great different group, but. but we had a great time playing with him. And I'm just saying, uh, he always had good work on the weekends, playing those colleges. And uh, he uh, he was a big part of the early days. We, he kept us going when we weren't making that much money doing anything else, you know. We'd always have some money coming in on the weekends playing fraternity parties with Hollis. He was really, really a great, great like I said, a great front man. And, and he was really a funny guy, man. Yeah, and you actually, on your last album, you wrote a song about those days called Tuscaloosa yeah, sure 1962. Yeah, yeah. How did how did that song come, come about? You know, I it's one of those things just sitting around the house, you know, and uh, I started thinking about uh, those days, you know. And it was a lot of fun, and it just can't, it really a very fast thing to write, you know, it didn't take me any time, it was just one of those things that popped out, you know. But I love that song only because it brings back those great memories of uh, I was riding or driving down to Tuscaloosa and uh, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Auburn, and uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it brought back a lot of memories for me, for sure. Yeah, and another studio that almost nobody ever talks about is 
Fred Beavis's place that was at 3614 right. Jackson Highway that later was occupied by Muscle Shoals Sound. Exactly. But you were part of that. Do you have any memories of that time? I heard some songs you wrote oh, that really? got recorded at that studio. Wow. I, I don't know. It's been so long ago. Uh, I know that we spent a lot, a lot of time over there, you know, and uh, either trying to write with different people and... Uh, um, I don't remember a lot of real authentic recording going on. You know what I mean? Like people coming in to record there. But there was always somebody there, and, and Mr. Beavis was really a, a good guy, really a, really a nice guy. And uh, But then, of course, the, uh, the guys took it over, Jimmy, Barry, and David. <laughs> you know what happened after that? But yeah. that was a good time there, even with with the, with the Beavis. Uh, that was a real good time. Everybody's still just learning, you know what I mean? We were all uh, out there doing what we could, but it was still a learning process going on. Still is, in a way, I guess. Yeah, and later in the 60s, you made the transition to Nashville mm. when, when you signed with Combine Music, but can you kind of walk us up to that... Yeah. Move, you know, uh, I, I I didn't sign with Rick, uh, whatever reason, uh, but I met uh, Bob Beckham down here. I met uh, Felton Jarvis, who was Elvis's producer later on, not at that time, but he was produ he produced that one song that, that Tommy Rowe did. It was a hit. We had the, me and Dan had the backside, but anyway. I got to meet some of these guys that are from Nashville, and so I just got a, a deal with that was with uh, Shelby Singleton's publishing company. It's called Raleigh Publishing Company, and so uh, I was in there for about three years, I guess. And quite Two, a few of those songs got recorded. Some of by it, yeah. some of Shelby's artists. One of my favorite is that song "Take Me Where the Sun Don't Shine." Yeah, Shout, yeah, that was a good Johnny one. Soul. Yeah. And Hollis recorded a version of that. Yeah, too. he did. And uh, we had a, I had a cut by Charlie Rich, who I loved. And Charlie was a very close friend. He became, this is when I first really, really met him and got to hang out with him. So he cut one of my songs called Tears of Go Go. And uh, I have a lot of people uh, comment on that song even today. In fact, when Bob Dylan did his first radio show, at, at, you know, he had the first. I don't know how long it went, but they put out a CD of the songs he picked on to be on Sirius Radio. On yeah. Sirius Radio, yeah. And then he had chosen, I don't know where in the world he heard the song, but he picked that as, as one of the songs he played on his radio show. So I was happy about that. Yeah. There's another song, and I'm not 100% sure if it's from the same time, but you wrote a song called That Woman. That was much later on. Was that much it later? It was. It, it was. Me and Bill wrote that, Bill Blackburn. And uh, that woman is one of my favorite songs, a little R&B ballad. That, and I had four or five cuts. Uh, Delbert did a brilliant job on it. Delbert McClinton. Okay. And Jose Feliciano cut it. And Johnny Nash. Johnny cut. Nash did oh, a good In fact, Mickey, Mickey produced that record. And then uh, Wilson. Pickett cut it. So that was pretty pretty amazing there. Yeah. So you got to write for Shelby Singleton. Yeah. And then. Then 
then I, in between times there was a, about a year or two with a, a friend of mine, Narl Wilson, that's what they call him. He was the head of Screen Gems. So I got over there for about two years, you know, and um, had, had a couple of Percy cuts uh, during that time period. And, um, you know, it just kept kind of bouncing around until finally landed there at Combine. And what happened, I, I, not only, here's, I'm just missing the big, I also signed later on with uh, April Blackwood, which is owned by CVS, that big conglomerate. Now, we were on, there was a house right next to RCA Victor. Up on the top stairs was our offices. On the bottom was Combine. So I got to know all those guys, Chris, Tony Joe, Tony Joe White, Billy Swan, Chris Gantry, and uh, it was a great place. It was the place to hang out after all the people gone home, you know. And Mickey Newberry would be there every night with us hanging out, and Shell Silverstein when he was in town. So we had a great bunch of people there, man. And soon, and, and as soon as uh, when I started with Chris, I signed with with Combine. Yeah. yeah. So, so you met Chris Christopherson, and then Chris started recording up there. Yeah. And he needed a band to go on the road with him. Yeah, he did. And and his first uh, gig was at the Troubadour in L.A. And I went out there with him. But uh, that's, he just had Dennis Lindy and Billy Swan. Billy played bass, and Dennis, a great guitar, a great uh, songwriter. He played guitar, and uh, they did so. Chris did so well. They held him over for another week, and uh, it was the starting of it. Then the next time he played, we opened a troubadour in San Francisco for old Doug Weston that owned a troubadour, a troubadour there in L.A. So that's when I started with him. And uh, we stayed with him for tw 20, over 20, 22 years. Yeah, and you co-wrote some songs with Chris, too, yeah, during that. Yeah, we did, uh, well, uh, especially on that, uh, on the Silver Tongue Devil album, there's a song that he and I wrote about Janis Joplin, which was a very personal song, of course, for Chris, too, because he, he knew her real well. I didn't know her. That I, the only time I talked to her was over the phone one night. But uh, I didn't really, so I didn't really know her. But uh, it was great to have that song that, that we wrote about. It was very, pretty emotional. Yeah. yeah, and you also had a hand in getting Arthur Alexander up. Yeah, I did. I got uh, Bob to listen to. I mean, he knew Arthur, knew of him, and but we got him in, and that's when I wrote a lot of the songs with Arthur when, during those combine years. And uh, we wrote a ton of songs, and then he got um, he got a deal to do a record for Warner Brothers. And um, my wife and I, you know Donna, she's a little Donna, she loved Arthur Alexander. They they loved each other. And uh, anyway, we took Arthur to Memphis and just tried to make sure everything stayed level-headed, you know, and uh, made sure everything went smooth, which it really did. And uh, we had a ball doing it. He cut a beautiful record, I think. That's, I love that record. Uh, I think, well, I think it's a beautiful record, yeah. Yeah, and around the same time, you co-wrote your signature song, We Had It All with Troy Seals. Yeah, yeah. How that, did that come about? 
You know, I, I, I went to visit, uh, I, a lot of people hung out at Quadraphonic Studios, too, that, and David Briggs and Norbert Putman owned that studio. So I'd go by there and, and just visit. Troy Seals was a guy I admired as a songwriter, and he's a great singer, too. And I had gotten one of his songs recorded right when he first started up there. It's just something I heard one of his songs. And I said that'd be good for someone. So for the girl, actually for the girl that cut uh, Chris's song, "Help Me Make It Through the Night," Sammy Smith. And I said, you know what? We ought to get that to her. And I, actually, I took it to her producer, and, it, and uh, she cut it. So uh, we got to be good friends. And one day I just went there, and he he said I'm stuck on this song, you know. And he had the first verse, and uh, we messed around and finished it. And I knew I was in trouble as soon as we, because I was under contract to Combine, and they had a rule not to write with anybody else but Combine writers. And I was no way going to walk away from a song like we had at all, you know. So uh, Beckham got so mad at me. I thought he was going to kill me, you know. He got really mad at me. But finally he decided, well, let them take we had it all y'all write me another song and we did it was uh the songs on my last album them old love songs that was the one we wrote to pay him back so and it was cut by waylon you know it was uh on one of waylon's big albums yeah but we had it all first got recorded by Dolby Do gray Dolby gray yeah and Beautiful. then probably the best recording of it even though you know, it went on to Ray Charles and the Stones and just so many Tina Turner and so many people cut that song. Bob Dylan performed it Bob live. Bob did it live, and, and but he didn't like the cut. He told me one day he didn't. We were on a flight to Japan of all things, and Chris came back and got me. Said Bob wants to talk to you a minute. I said Bob, who? I didn't know he was on there. He said Bob Dylan, come on up. And he was telling me that he said I cut your song. I said, you know, man. He said, but it didn't come off. And he said, but I may do it on the road or something like that. And next thing I know, it was like on a bootleg album. But, uh, yeah, he did it really weird. He did it kind of up-tempo. Right? And, uh, but it was, I'm glad he did it, you know. But that song has been a big, big part of my life now, you know. I think it means it was, Seemed like it mean, meant a lot to a lot of people, you know. Yeah, and it's a beautiful song. Thank you. That that's kind of what it's always what we always try to do, right? Something that moves people in some way, you know. Yeah. So all through those years, actually up till the early '90s, you remained a member of Chris Christopherson's band. I think you locked like 24 years as his. I was 22 years. Oh, 22 yeah. years as his keyboard player and during that time you also got it into movies yeah. through him how yeah. how did that come about well you know it's something i love movies I'm, I'm one of the biggest movie freaks in the world you know so i've always loved movies but i never really thought about being an actor but how i got uh we did uh even in Cisco Pike, Chris's first movie, we, we did some background stuff. We did all the music for it. And then that was a good experience. Then the next movie he did was a movie called Bloom and Love. And there was a scene in there that, that the characters 
main characters that went to a party in Beverly Hills or something, and they needed a band, so they got us to do that. And I did. I was a lead singer in this band, you know. So, uh, okay, that that was that, and we uh, they kept kept us on. Kept uh, we stayed for a couple of weeks before we could actually do our party. By that time, Chris had finished his part, and he flew to Durango. And uh, and I already knew I was going to be in that movie because he and I had flown to, went to Durango, Mexico, with uh, Sam Peckinpah, and he was down there auditioning actors. So for some reason, we were we were in this big room where he's doing auditions. He came up to me, he said, "I want you in this movie." Sam Peckinpah, one of the greatest directors ever. I said, man, Sam, I've never acted. I wouldn't know what to do. He said, you'll be fine. Just do what I tell you, and you'll be fine. And it was a great thrill, man. Get to be in a Western on top of that, you know, and look around and see all these uh, these incredible character actors that I've watched all my life, you know, Slim Pickens and Jack Elam and uh, Harry Dean. Well, I knew Harry Dean, but... Uh, he was in it, and uh, Luke Askew, just all these great character actors. R.G. Armstrong, I loved him, man. And it was a great, Gene Evans, I can't remember. Anyway, it was a great experience, and then uh, Sam called me and said, I want you to be in this next movie, too. <laughs> it was uh, one that really caused a lot of, uh, a lot of trouble in a way, you know. People hated the movie, it's called Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. And it was a very violent movie, and we were in it long enough to get killed. And uh, but you know, uh, Sam called me one night, and we were talking about it. And he said, "You wait and see if people don't change their mind about this movie." He said, "Go take a while," and he was right. You know, about say uh, that was seventy, about twenty years later, whenever it came out on uh, DVD, man, everybody just raved about it, you know. And I got to meet a lot of people out in Hollywood that uh, loved that movie. And, and like Quentin Tarantino, I met him one night, and he was raving about that movie. He said one of his favorite movies of all time, you know. So uh, I don't know. It was it was a great experience again. And then we did one other movie with him, a, a movie about con uh, truck drivers, uh, Convoy, which was a lot of fun, you know. Yeah, so I've been really blessed. I've been really lucky and really blessed to be able to and do all that. And you've been getting calls ever since for for roles in different movies. Some, yeah, I do. One I, of my favorite is The Life and Times oh. of Guy Terrific. Yeah, that's one of my favorites, Which too. Is, is such a funny movie. It's like a country version of Spinal Tap. Yeah, it really is. And we had a ball. We did it, like, my part, all day. You know, well, it didn't take all day. But uh, I had more dialogue in that movie than I had in any of the others. And it was kind of worried me because I didn't know what I could remember. We worked out a little pattern for me to where I could get through it. And uh, it was fun, man. It was, it was a funny movie. Yeah, and through your work in movies, you also got to meet Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, I did. How did that come about? You know, uh, my great friend Stephen Bruton, who passed away about five years ago. He's he was great, your bandmate. He was in our band with Chris, and then he went on to play with Bob, and uh, 
Bob Dylan and uh, Bonnie, Bonnie Gray. So he, he was a, he was a hell of a talent. But anyway, uh, he got a, a part in that movie, The Alibi. And uh, and I just, uh, we were talking one day, and he, he said, why don't you come down and meet Billy Bob? He said, I'm sure he'd want to meet you. And so I did, and uh, we went. It's a beautiful set, how they built that damn thing right outside uh, Austin, Texas. And anyway, uh, we spent the whole uh, the whole day just about with Billy and uh, got to know him, and he already knew some of the stuff I'd done. He loved, Pat Garrett was his, one of his very favorite movies. And we got the, we hit it off, and since then we, we, we wrote a lot of good songs together and spent a lot of time together. Yeah, and not a lot of people know that some of his early recordings were done at Witchett Studio. Exactly, here in Muscle Shoals. And he came back due to your recommendation about mm -hmm. a year ago and cut right here where we were sitting right now at the Nut House. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was a funny recording. He left uh, Jimmy Nut, you know, Jimmy, he, he left a message on his machine saying, This is Billy Bob Thornton. And I've been uh, chosen by. Donnie Fritz family to take care of him and have him committed, so that's why I'm calling the nut house. He just went on and on. It was funny, man. He sure was. Yeah. One of your other like lifelong collaborators was Eddie Hinton. Yeah, I loved Eddie. Eddie was the And one of your other signature songs you wrote with him, Breakfast in yeah, Bed. Sure did. That Dusty Springfield recorded in Memphis and can you share something about yeah. that song? You know, that was uh, one of the songs that Eddie and I wrote. And we knew we was going to have to really bear down on that because we couldn't just get by with writing some funk song. Or, you know, it had to be really special, I think. So one thing led to the other. We got the thing going. Uh, I had a little melody thing that kicks off that, uh, the melody of the thing. And it just kind of evolved, but we worked hard on that song. It wasn't one we just went in and wrote, which was the way it was with most of our songs. We worked hard on that damn thing. Now. And uh, we'd go back and work hard and come back. and and uh, But it really paid off because it's, uh, it's one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite records, too. And uh, everybody that I know that's ever heard that is one of their you know, that Dusty and Memphis album is a classic. It sure know. is. It's the perfect record, you know. Yeah. How did you and Eddie initially meet? Um, I met him just when he started hanging at the studios here. And, you know, he was like the big new thing. He was like a new uh, brilliant guy, you know. And he was he was brilliant and smart and very talented and very uh, egotistical in a lot of ways, but uh, we wrote some really good songs together during that time. We we kind of found a mutual respect for each other, and uh, we we worked we wrote a lot of songs, had a lot of cuts, and uh, he unfortunately for whatever reason he had some really hard times and couldn't pull out of that, you know, so. Anyway, I love Eddie, and, and I love all the time we spent together. Yeah, but uh, one evening, I guess, you spent some time in Muscle Shoals Sound, and you, you guys wrote a song together, and you shared that story with me before 
where he would lay the drum track first. Yeah. Would you mind sharing that story? It was incredible. We did this song. It was uh, Have a Little Mercy on Me. And uh, he said, I'm going to put the drum track down first. I said, okay. You know, and that meant he had to, he played the, and he, he was a good drummer. His timing was perfect. But I noticed he'd go, he'd hit some little licks, little accents. And I was like, he's going to put, he's playing in his mind the guitar and everything is going to go with that. And that's exactly what he did. It was incredible to watch, you know. And it's a, I thought, damn, you know. He knows what he's doing, you know. He, he could tell. I mean, he, he had it figured out just when he was putting the drums drums track on. And then he sang it great. And uh, I just put an electric piano and maybe an organ on it or something. But it was incredible to watch, to see him do that. It's the only time I've ever seen anybody do it like that. Yeah. And you continued to write with him pretty much all through his life. Oh, sure, yeah. Absolutely. And also, somebody we, we touch on shortly was uh, Bill Blackburn. Yeah. He's somebody else who's kind of lost, you yeah. know, to his. And I, would you mind sharing? Bill was a great guy. And he, he, he could write. He was a carpet man, you know, he, he laid carpet, but. He uh, loved music, man. I don't think I've ever met anybody that loved music any better than Bill. And so we wrote tons of songs together, and we got a few really good cuts. You're talking about that woman, and uh, there's a gospel song we wrote, uh, Jesus Was All I Had, that I did, and Ronnie Millsap did. And anyway, he was he was really special. He was uh, he, he just had that love of music that, it's contagious to be around. You know, we all love music, but he he really really got into it and stayed. That's all he thought about. You know, and was a good writer, really good. So up till 1973, you were a musician, a songwriter, but then you became an artist and. <laughs> Like any other artist, you'd have not just Chris Christopherson or Cherry Wexler produce you, uh, but you had the two of them produce yeah. your album. That And I don't, you know, that never happens. Why does it happen to you? I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I, I was so, I've been so blessed with great friends. And, uh, and, and you know what? I, I'm looking back on that and... It's hard to even remember exactly the day that Jerry and I decided to do this. It was it was all Jerry. Believe me, I mean, there's nothing I could even <coughs> think about doing. Was doing an album at the time. But anyway, he offered. He said, "Let's do an album together." And and so uh, even and it was my idea to, of course, get Chris. And he was lo he loved Chris, and uh, so. And then I said, you know, Jerry, what I wanted to do is uh, use the guys here at Muscle Show Sound, where we're cutting this thing, on half of it, and half of it used the band. He said, Donnie, they'll never go for that, you know. I said, I think they'll be fine with it, which they were. And so we brought in uh, Mike Utley, brilliant keyboardist that wound up with Jimmy Buck, still with Jimmy Buck. Still with Jimmy Buck. And uh, Sammy Creason, a great drummer. And uh, 
brought those two guys in. And we brought Jerry McGee, uh, not the one here, Jerry McGee. With the Ventures, yeah. The, with the Ventures, and uh, he played on Bonnie and Del Delaney and Bonnie's first album. He's a brilliant guitarist. And so, uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I was overwhelmed, to say the least, at being in that studio and with all these great musicians and knowing I couldn't sing worth a damn, you know. Not really at that time. I could kind of carry a melody, and that was it. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's a big record in Japan still. Absolutely. I don't And it's wet the appetite for more, I guess, because you ended up uh, recording three more albums and are working on a fourth one now. Yeah. Uh, you did one back in the mid-90s with several guests. You had yeah. Everybody's Williams got some. on it. You had Delbert on it. You and Waylon and uh, Dan Penn and uh, Chris and B uh, Billy Swan and uh, how did, John Prine. How did that second album come about? Well, it was uh, some, uh, something John Tibbin, a uh, producer up in Nashville, he got it together somehow. I don't know. He met some people out of Boston that had some money, and they asked him where I was, if they could, they could find me. And, he, of course, he, he knew exactly where he was. I saw him all the time. But he uh, got us together, and they had some money, and we did the thing, you know. And I asked all these friends of mine, like Willie and everybody, to lift the, and they just said, hey, you just tell us when we need to be there, and we'll be there. And that's how it worked out, you know. Yeah, then about 10 years later, you did another album called One Foot in the Groove and yeah. Dan Penn Studio with the decoys backing you yeah, up. Yeah. Whenever I'd... you play here in town, you say, you know, the decoys, it's my favorite band. Oh, in the absolutely. World. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about that album. Well, that album there is one I, I had gone through so many bad uh, health problems, and uh, that, that title come from uh, one night I was in a hospital after a. Uh, it was after that, that uh, kidney transplant I went through, and so my, uh, you know, the report would always be on my door when the doctors come in, and I'd look at it and say, you know, were real bad, were like I was in grave condition, and so I, I, I just uh, somebody called one night, and I was laid up in bed, and. Uh, he said, well, how are you doing? It just came out. I said, I got one foot in the groove, you know. And I said, "That's well, I got to do this album called that. And I got with Dan. And um, at that time, I'd been doing a lot of shows with the decoys. And got them on it. Brought in Spooner. And uh, uh, I can't remember. A bunch of people came in and recorded. Tony Joe came in. Tony Joe White. And... Uh, uh, Mickey, uh, it plays with uh, Mickey Raphael. It plays with Willie. Yeah, he he played in. on your first album. Too. He did. He that was the first album he'd ever recorded on. And uh, I said, no wonder my my budget went up. He he got Mickey flew in Mickey flew Mickey up from Austin, put him in a nice hotel for about a week. I said, no wonder my budget went went crazy. But anyway, he was great and. Uh, I can't remember who all played on that one foot in the groove, but it's one of my yeah. favorite albums. I think you might have had Wayne Jackson and Charles, <coughs> yeah, Wayne. Charles and, and Harvey on. Absolutely, and, we had those guys. And, uh, and to me, that might 
be my favorite album of yours because yeah. Robin in the Rain is yeah. one of my favorite mm-hmm. songs. Thank you. Across the Poncho Train is one of my favorite yeah. songs. And She's Got a Crush on Me is everybody's favorite oh, song. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's one of my favorites there. That, uh, but, uh, but then, a few years later, a young man by the name of John Paul White entered yeah. your life, and that resulted in, well, I guess, two additional albums, but certainly yeah. that first one. So how, how did you guys... Well, he he called me one day and uh, and they were having a premiere of that Muscle Shoals movie and uh, and he knew without going into any details that how I kind of felt about that and I was very proud of uh, what it did for this area and of Jimmy and Barry and David and and Spooner and the ones that really my friends and I I was really proud of what it how it helped me. But I wasn't a part of it, so I didn't. Uh, I didn't ever think about it that much, really. They chose to not put me in that movie, and uh, that's fine if, they, if that's the way they want to do it. But so he calls me and wants me to play at the show, and the people movie. already told me that lots of luck getting him to do that. But he was so nice about it. I couldn't. I, I love this guy. He was so nice and. Uh, I couldn't turn him down. I said, "Yeah, I'll do it. I'll, I'll be glad to do it for you." But you got to come over and write a song with me. And uh, so he did. He came over to the house and uh, start. I started playing songs for him. And one thing led to the other. And he said, "Yeah." I said, "Why don't we do it?" I'd already been talking to T Bone Burnett about doing an album, and and he called me one day and he said, "You know," uh, he said, "John Paul White is down there now. He lives there." I think you should let, we should talk to him about doing your album. And so that that was what happened after I did these songs with John Paul. I said, well, why don't we do an album together? And, and it just worked out where he, he agreed to do it, you know, and he had just been, just gotten uh, away from that Civil Wars thing. And so uh, he was so good and so gracious to, Put me on his label. You can, seventy-one-year-old guys don't get record deals, you know, very seldom. But he he gave me a deal, and uh, we had a great time doing it. It's called "Oh My Goodness," and uh, that's a song me and Spooner wrote, probably about '68 or something like that. Anyway, I love John Paul White, and he's he's done so much. And then he went on the road with me. We did a bunch of shows together, which. I'm sure in the back of mind he really does the last thing he wanted to do, but we had a lot of fun doing it. We all got to go to New York, which was a lot of fun. We did, yeah. Well, I I went to Europe by myself, just with well with Reed Watson. He was a, he's a road manager for me then, and we just did a bunch of shows at, at BBC and stuff like that. But we played. Uh, Lincoln Center with you, and uh, you know, and uh, you did a, you you did the tour with uh, with uh, Larry Campbell and his wife. Oh Teresa yeah, Williams. yeah, yeah. They're great people, Larry. And so I don't know. I've been very blessed, you know. And now uh, we're working on an album that's very close to my heart. I've been wanting to do it for a long time. It's called. It's a tribute to Arthur Alexander, who you know was there right from kind of the beginning, and 
and we're uh, right in the middle of it right now. So I'm really, it's really a very personal and very special project for me. Yeah, and shortly after Arthur passed away, you started writing a song called June. Well, you know what? It was the day he died name. when I wrote the lyrics to that. I was coming back from Nashville, where I'd been with him, where he had been in the hospital, where he died in, in Nashville. And on the way home, I wrote the lyrics to that. And uh, I didn't like the melody. I didn't like the feel I had on it. So I really didn't play it to anybody until I finally got a little uh, thing I really liked on it. And this was only a few months ago, Way, maybe a few months before we started doing this album. And that thought might be the title of the album now, June, and uh, uh, I really like it now. It's uh, kind of an old rhythm and blues melody, but uh, I, I like the way it came out now. Yeah, and we're all look, looking forward to hearing it uh, too, but yeah. and to to kind of you know end end our program here too. Your most recent cut is to me is not only another signature Donnie Fritz song, yeah. but also a cut by the great Willie Nelson. Yeah, my buddy. And yeah. tell me a little bit about Old Timer came about. Yeah. You wrote it with. Wrote it with Lenny, Lenny LeBlanc, the great Lenny LeBlanc. And uh, what happened, Lenny had called me. We had never written before and never really, I didn't really know Lenny that well. I admired him, I, I, all of the stuff he did, and uh, I loved uh, Falling, that album, that song. But we never, we kind of went in different di directions, you know, so I never really got to work with him. Well, he called me one day and said he had a song he wanted me to help him finish. I said, fine, you know. So I went over to his house. He's got a great studio there to work in. And we finished this one song, and then uh, I told him I had this idea <laughs> or the title. Actually, I wanted this title, Old Timer, to be the title of the album that came out before, Oh My Goodness. But I never did get the song written, you know. So uh, we got on that, and uh, it just came pretty fast, and, and Lenny... I gotta say, Lenny really just dove in and come up with some beautiful lines and 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 the melody and everything. And uh, it it was uh, a great experience there. And I did the demo. I sang the demo. And right when we finished it, I uh, called Willie. Well, I mean, maybe a couple of weeks later, we just got to think about. There's only one person really that that's recording now that could cut this song and make sense, and and it's Willie. So uh, I called him at home, and uh, we talked a little bit, and I finally said, well, Willie, I think I got you a song. You know? Which is kind of a, seri a serious, uh, scary proposition when you think about Willie Nelson's one of the greatest songwriters ever lived. You know, He don't necessarily need a Donnie Fritz song, but I thought this one fit him really well. And, and I, he said, well, how can I hear it? Well, Lenny, we sent it to him that night. He listened to it. And called me the next day and said, yeah, we're going to cut this song, man. He said, I sent it to Buddy, his uh, buddy. Buddy Cannon. Uh, what's his name? Buddy Cannon. Buddy Cannon. And uh, they all loved it, and, and he cut and did a beautiful job on it. Just a gorgeous job. Yeah, well, congrats on that. It's Thank a you, wonderful sir. song. Yeah. And I bet there's going to be many more 
down the road. And I just thank you so much for being. Well, I like some of the stuff here. we've written, like Soulmate. We got to get that out. We sure do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to me and uh, sharing all these stories. Thank and, uh, you. Uh, I, w- I wish you just just the best. Health, future, songs, whatever, whatever. Well, thank you, Andre. I wish you the same thing. And uh, I know you, you, you're you a, a great part of this area now, this Muscle Shoals area. You're, like, just a part of it as much as anybody that was born here. And uh, I'm proud of you for that, man. Well, thank you for accepting me in your home. Absolutely. Donnie just turned 75. Many of his buddies, including Chris Christofferson, Billy Swan, Dan Penn, Spoon Roldam, and Travis Womack, will celebrate Donnie with a special birthday show at the Shoals Theater in Florence, Alabama later today. Then in December, I will join Donnie for a series of Christmas duo shows. We'll play in Lexington, Kentucky on December 9 at the City Winery in Nashville, Tennessee on December 11, the Nuthouse in Sheffield, Alabama on December 13, and Antones in Austin, Texas on December 15. I hope to see you at one of our shows. This was the 8th episode of the Crazy Chester Radio Hour. We taped it at the Nuthouse Recording Studio in Sheffield, Alabama, my favorite studio in the shows. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. See you next week.